reveals the travers of all field and fountain moor and mountain following on the Stumble in the darkness 
chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. This is a word of the Lord from the ESV translation. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east, can't you say magi because wise men isn't right, magi from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go search diligently for the child and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. 
After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in the dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let us pray. Jesus, we are thankful for your word. Lord, uh, these stories maybe we have heard just for what seems like innumerable times, but even with a closer just look, I, I have just seen so much and challenged by so much here. I pray that we would be as well. Lord, I want to pray for anybody in this room that is struggling with uh, uh, depression, sadness, anxiety, uh, just some of the difficulties that may be coming along with the unique times that we live in. Lord, I pray that uh, if, if those people are watching online or here right now in this room, that they wouldn't leave without grabbing somebody to ask for prayer. Lord, that um, you would reveal and show yourself as the God of comfort, the God of love, the God who never leaves us nor forsakes us. Lord, pray for anybody that is sick in this room, that you would, uh, if the physical ailments or sickness, that you would heal them even this morning, even those who are watching, that you would bring relief to them, Lord. And I pray for Emmanuel, for this church, for the coming week of this, this joyful holiday of, of our Christmas Eve service, Lord, that it would, um, there's many things that are memorable about 2020, and I pray that this week would, would really be a memorable week of worship, of joy, Lord, of, of, of looking at you and allowing you for who you truly are to be revealed to us in all of your wonderful, strong humility and your just amazing majestic um, willingness to humble yourself in the way you did throughout these narratives. So Lord, may you be our all in all this Christmas season. May you be the, the ultimate desire of our hearts above all else. And so this morning, Lord, as we walk, walk through this text, would you open up our hearts to receive the words you have for us? Would you give us ears, open ears, to hear you and eyes to see you? We love you, Jesus. Thank you for the good news. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your resurrection. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> As we prepare to walk through this all too familiar story, I want to try to retell this story in modern day terms. I think uh, this, this story has some extremely important dimensions that uh, I think in 2020 are very important to really look at and ask serious questions about. So let's just uh, put on your uh, imagination hats for a minute here. Imagine that Jesus arrived in our nation. You just got news. Where would you expect him to be at his kind of first location? Where would you expect him to show up first? Where would you hope he would show up 
first. Um, I want to, for you to really con- seriously consider that question. If you have a little scratch pad, maybe scratch down your answer, just think about it. Secondly, imagine that his actual followers, his first followers, are the ones announcing to everyone else a special revelation that he had indeed come. Who would you, who would you expect those people to be? Or who would you hope those people would be? I think the answers to those two questions uh, can kind of be like one of those uh, tests where you, you really gauge your own understanding of the gospel and of Jesus, right? Uh, uh, and who he is, who his church is. And so we're going to revisit those questions at the end of our sermon today. For some of us this morning, uh, you may find yourself greatly challenged by what we see in this passage, but I can only encourage you in all your Bible readings, all right? You let this thing breathe. You let this, the stories and the words, you let it sit and you let it breathe and you soak it in for what it is. You don't try to impose your reading onto the Bible, but you let the Bible read your own heart. And that is a very important dimension as we look at this story today. Um, I'm going to challenge a lot of different things that are being taught right now out there in the Christian world. And I want to hold Jesus up high in all of his glory to look at him and to see what maybe he has to say, what his story has to say for us today. I feel that my job, it is my job as your pastor, is to give you Jesus. It's to say, here, who, here is his, who he is, unfiltered, raw. Who is Jesus? He's right here. This is all that he is. Everybody else is kind of taking this and that. I, it's, it's important that we learn and try to read books and understand things and what this person says, but it's just the continual goal is to say, who was Jesus? Who was he really? Because the answer to that question is life or death for me and for you and for anyone else in our communities. And so I want to look at this story today, beginning in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, and the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to, and I'm teaching, I want to teach you to read carefully, look at the details, they came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose. We have come to worship him. Matthew, he wastes no time jumping in to this, I think, pretty wild story. As we begin to, uh, we need to take in these details. Now, he was born in Bethlehem, okay? In the days of Herod the king. He wasn't just called Herod, he was called the king. Take note. Magi from the east came to Herod the king To Jerusalem, not to Bethlehem, Jerusalem. They were following a star that claimed, uh, that they claim belonged to a new king of the Jews who was just born. And they came to find and to worship this new king. So I'm going to start working through these details. Uh, Let's start with Bethlehem. Jesus, the Savior of the world, God incarnate, who has always been, he is, as he told Moses, he always has been, he was born in Bethlehem. Now for us today, Bethlehem feels rather important after all of these centuries and millennia. But during the first century in Israel, it would be like, this is such a stupid illustration, I'll say it anyway, uh, this is like Dawsonville, Georgia. I was a redneck NASCAR fan, all right, I'm just Throw myself out there when I was a kid. Yep, I watched NASCAR. I haven't watched it in a while, but I was, right? And Dawsonville, Georgia has one claim to fame, which is an old wash-up NASCAR driver from the 80s was born there. 
All right. So if you go to Dawsonville, Georgia today, it's famous for one reason. Bill Elliott was born there. All right. That was basically like Bethlehem. There was nothing important about the city except about a thousand years ago, somebody important was born there. Probably a little more important than a NASCAR driver, but he was born there. Okay. King David. Other than that, there's nothing else going for Bethlehem. That was it. Archaeologists think that Bethlehem of Jesus' day was about the same size as a Walmart parking lot. A very small place. For this little town, though, if you were a careful reader of the scriptures, you may be quietly expecting just a little more out of this small town. But we'll see that in a moment. Secondly, the Magi, they didn't go to Bethlehem. They went to Jerusalem. Even though it said that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and this is where I think we start learning a little more about these strange and mysterious visitors. They did get one thing right. The king had been born. And logically speaking, where did they go to? The place where kings live. Jerusalem, the royal urban city. The place where all the kings of Israel, for all the ancient kings had been born, died, and they, they were buried there in the past. They, they went looking for this newborn king where you expect to find a king, which is Jerusalem. Maybe they were expecting and just maybe hoping then for that same kind of king, a political ruler, king taking authority in Jerusalem, just like the kings of old. More again on that in a moment. Thirdly, as these foreigners showed up in the wrong place, looking for the king, we got to ask, who in the world were these people anyhow? The SV's wise men is kind of the KJV, like traditional, you know, interpretation there, but it literally is magi. Magi is a well-known profession um, in that day and age from the eastern uh, nations, only kind of a little bit outside of the Roman Empire, right? They were known and trained to essentially read the stars and try to interpret signs and understand the constellations found in the sky and um, they were usually from the Arabian kind of area, modern-day Saudi Arabia, modern-day Iran. That kind of area is where these, these ancient magi would have taken up their office. We don't know much. Matthew gives us extremely scant details about these people. But what we do know is they were most unexpected visitors to just show up on the scene here in Judea, in Jerusalem, looking for a newborn Jewish king. Even more bizarre... I'm going to be honest, it's just a crazy story. They were following a star. Apparently, there was a star supernaturally moving around, and they somehow knew this star belonged to this new king born in Israel that they had to go and to give very expensive gifts to and worship. Now again, we don't know how that came about. How do they know? The star belonged to Jesus, right? It was a, a, a pretty obscure prophecy given in the book of Numbers about the star that will come out of Judah, right? So there's some Old Testament illusion given there. But they shows up, they show up in Jerusalem here, and they say, uh, we've been following a star, right? And we know that in the details of this story, it's, this is probably a year or two journey, all right? A very expensive journey, Engaging by the gifts they brought, these are probably some pretty wealthy people. There wasn't just three of them. A journey this magnitude would have had a whole crew with them, all right? So who knows the, the, the pomp and display of their walking through Jerusalem and all of their foreign attire and all the, who knows what they were writing as they walked through. People are thinking, what in the world is going on here? 
And if we aren't already bewildered by all these strange details, and almost kind of, I think, funny part of the story, they show up in the royal city of Jerusalem, and they sink the audience of the current reigning king, Herod, the tyrant king, Herod the Great. And they ask, hey, where was the king born? Do you have a baby by any chance? Because the king of the Jews was just born, and we're looking to worship him. And they ask the king. Now, if you're the king and you're told that, you would say, <clears throat> I think I'm the king here. What are you, what are you talking about? Uh, who else was born? Okay, let's collect our details. Jesus, king of the Jews and savior of the world, was just born in Bethlehem in an insignificant Walmart parking lot-sized town with, a, with ancient cred of being King David's birthplace. Two, Eastern astrologers, probably pagan or Zoroastrian, were following a star, and they showed up in Jerusalem and approached the current king, asking where the new king is. But as we know, they were looking for Jesus in the wrong place. This is a wild story, all right? There's not like a parallel to this in Scripture. I love this story because it's so crazy. All right, but I want to stop and ask some questions. First off is this, what kind of king are we hoping for? Where would you expect King Jesus to be if he arrived here in our nation? Apparently the Magi thought logically he would show up where Israel's kings were in Jerusalem. This reveals, I think, of their motive. They were looking for a political king with kingly authority that we find in the Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament. But they were wrong. They initially missed Jesus and actually was in danger of missing Jesus entirely because they were looking for him in what felt like the right place, the city of kings, the king of the Jews, the city of kings. Yes, he must be here. But it was actually the wrong place. Friends, where are you looking for Jesus now? So many in our nation are looking for Jesus, I believe, in the wrong place. Like the Magi, so many Christians are looking for Jesus to show up in the, in the high authority Jerusalems of our own nation. And they imagine that this is where all of our prayers must be directed, where all of our hopes and longings must be directed. And like the Magi, for so many, we are hoping for Jesus' kingly authority to be asserted all over again and to be found and take root in the highest offices of influence in our nation if we are to have hope. But meanwhile, in this story, in a Walmart-sized parking lot in a small rural town, there's the king. That's where he was chosen to be born. He was actually born in Dawsonville, Georgia, two blocks down from the former NASCAR driver, right? Jesus didn't come to be that kind of king. If you hear anything else this morning, I want you to hear this point. He did not come to be that kind of king. His kingship is actually subverting and undermining those very expectations. I mean, our king let himself be born in a feeding trough. Before his birth, uh, farm animals, like probably within 24 hours or four or less, were literally eating out of the crib that the infant Jesus would sleep in. Somewhere that no one in our nation would want their infant to be sleeping in. If you ever seen farm animals eat out of a trough, it's gross and it's sloppy and there's spit and there's bits of chewed food falling out as you're trying to eat and it's not exactly a sanitary place. But that is where the king of the universe chose to be found on day one of his entrance into this world. That is our king. He is trying to show us that he is going to be a different king, a king that would subvert these authority structures by being the opposite of what we expect him 
to be. And we must allow this story of Jesus as told in all nations, all over the world, that wherever Christians are gathered, we read this story and we must allow the values that are drawn from this story to be ascribed to our own very Christian life because Jesus is constantly inviting us to join in on his own story, on the patterns and the ways in which he chose to live. And he is saying, come and join me. The way that I lived, this is how human beings are supposed to live. This is the very ways in which I designed humans to live at the very beginning. It's the ways that you screwed up when you wanted to take control of your own life and I want to subvert these earthly authorities by showing them the true heavenly authority which is humility which is not arrogance or pride but is being born in a manger in a tiny little town away from the city now such a message if spoken um, well this message there's one way I can really grow our church right now there's a fire brewing in our country right and it is um, let's defy all of these government's, you know, orders, right? Jesus wants us to be free. No mask in church. We'll do what, we won't do what the government tells us. We'll have 800 people in this room. Who cares? We'll do what we want. And there's a lot of people talking that way. When I read the scriptures here, when I hear this story, I feel like, yes, that could be a popular message. Maybe perhaps he would pack out the place if I were to try to lead us in that kind of, you know, strong, you know, quote-unquote strong um, path. But it's claiming, that kind of path is claiming that Jesus was not born in Bethlehem. It's claiming that he was born in Jerusalem. It's claiming a different origin, a different story. It's claiming that the night that when Peter got up his sword in the Garden of Gethsemane, that Jesus is like, yeah, this is right. Get your sword. Let's fight. But he said, Peter, put your sword down. It is not time for that yet. It is claiming that he refused the crown of thorns and sought the crown of gold. That kind of mentality claims that he refused the cross and sought the throne in the palace. But that's not how the story of Jesus went. When he told Peter to put down his sword, he quickly, within just hours after that, within a day after that, we found him dead in weakness on a cross, carrying the burden of our sin to reconcile us back to our Father. His resurrection once and for all shown that he, he came to reorder and refashion and recreate humanity with the sending of his Spirit on any and all who believe in him and to reorder them by love of God and neighbor through the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. This is the kind of thing that his kingdom should be known for, not for the wielding of swords. It's why the Christians around the world who literally are being like killed, like there are Christians right now in our world being killed and slaughtered because they believe in Jesus. And if you read their testimonies, right, if you read their stories and when, when people, us here in the West say, oh, we're praying your persecution will stop, they would say, no, that is not what you need to pray for. Pray that we may be faithful unto the end. And that's the division between this American spirit that I'm seeing versus the, the heart of our faith. It is that we preach Jesus and we love God with all of our heart and we give ourselves up in sacrifice even to our neighbors and loving them and in washing their feet. We let the chips fall where they may. And we want to move on to these magi. The Magi, they were not the expected target audience of this new king of the Jews. 
to begin with, they were not even Jewish or from Israel. They were not from Abraham's physical family. They had no claim in Israel's story. And according to popular understanding, they did, not they, they did not belong prostrate. As they came into this child, they fell down. They did not belong there before this Jewish king. Now let's take a look at what happened to those who did have a claim in this story and see how they responded initially in verse 3. This is yet another pattern we see. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So Heather, uh, Herod gathered his own magi, if you will, uh, knowing that he hasn't had a child, right? As of recent, this mysterious group of Eastern magi shows up looking for this newborn king. And knowing that, without going into lots of detail, there was a huge just fervor amongst the whole nation looking for this Messiah. And he knows that. He calls up the Bible scholars and says, hey guys, um, where is this Messiah figure supposed to be born? Where is this Christ going to be born? And they said, oh, well, yeah, Micah 5, verse 2. They didn't have five you know, chapter divisions. In the, in, the, in the prophet Micah, uh, there's a prophecy given. This is 700 years prior that he would be born in Bethlehem. And then Herod says secretly to the wise men, the magi, he says, what time did the star appear, guys? Tell me, what time did it appear? And we can, you know, we saw when Herod basically lands his attack on Bethlehem, he kills male children two years and younger. That's where that idea of a one to two year journey may have come into place. They've been following the star for that long. He says, great, so go find the kid. He's not here. He's probably in Bethlehem. And when you do come back, let me know where he is so I may come and worship him as well. Now, the Bible scholars probably just got wind from Herod, right, about the supposed news. And the actual king of Judea was like, go guys, have fun, just come back and let me know what you learn. And you find this kind of lackadaisical you know, uh, response here from the authorities, the guys who were supposed to, to get it, right? The Bible teachers, the, the white hairs wise men that understood this thing inside and out, they were supposed to be the ones on lookout. And they were like, yeah, Bethlehem. And that was it, Right? Um, simultaneously at this time, there's actually various di uh, and very diverse groups of Jews all over Israel looking for the Messiah. They're looking everywhere. There was groups over here, groups over there. They were trying to stew rebellion and trying to get people to come behind strong personalities and say, let's go lead and let's go fight. And Herod kept squelching these people down. And the Essenes were in the, the, the desert saying, where are the enlightened people or where the Messiah will come through us. And everybody's looking everywhere. But meanwhile, as this... The, the nation rages in fear of Rome in hot anticipation for the Messiah. Here are these foreigners showing up, right? And then they go to Bethlehem where he actually is. And everybody else is raging all around and there's quietly Jesus in Bethlehem with people who weren't even from the nation bowing prostrate before our Lord. 
Now there's something wrong with this picture, but something actually beautiful at the same time that is instructive for us. The common theme throughout the Gospels is that Jesus was missed almost by all who were looking for him. Almost all who were trying to exert their authority over Rome and get this Messiah, they thought maybe he would be it until they saw him on the cross. They said, nope, if this guy died on the cross, what does that mean for me? I'm out of here. And that's why Jesus found himself with just a handful of people before him on the cross as the city quickly turned their back on him. But who were the kinds of people throughout Jesus' ministry that did get it? Who were the kinds of people that did respond to this? Usually it was the poor, the physically disabled, the sick, actually other foreigners in Roman cities in the Decapolis that often responded to him. Wicked people who were hated by most. Women who in those days were much sidelined in that ancient culture. We have a a tremendous list of women who responded to Jesus. And we have a bunch of all regular rough and rowdy fishermen who did so. Not the Bible scholars, not the Bible teachers, not the religious authorities, very few of the powerful. They were all looking elsewhere and teaching something different. The theme here is that Jesus was born in an unexpected place, worshipped first by unexpected people, shattering all the expectations we would have had of the first grand entrance of the Son of God into this world. The story continues in verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw Mary, the child with his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, of frankincense, and of myrrh. This moment and even the gifts were foretold by Isaiah, in chapter 60, We read this. It says in verses 1 through 6, I cut out a couple of verses. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you. His glory will be seen upon you. Nations shall come to your light. Kings, to the brightness of your rising, lift your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you, and they shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. The prophets foresaw even this moment. When the Magi arrived, the stars supernaturally leading them to the house where Jesus was before they ever entered the home, before they ever saw the Lord Jesus. When they realized the stars stopped, they found the house. They rejoiced. The Greek here, it runs out of words, right? The joy was so intense that it just starts repeating itself. If we were to literally translate it into English, it would read something like this. And they felt joy that was of the most joyous, joyful joy of the most joyful kind of joy. There was no more words left. They were probably dancing a jig in the streets, bending their knee in tremendous joy, saying, we found him. After all of this time, we finally found the king that we've been looking for. Get the gifts. And when they came, 
before they even gave him the gifts, what did they do? They fell down. They just fell down and lay prostrate before him. We have to remember, right now, Jesus was wearing a diaper. He was a little kid, right? And there's magi coming in, laying down before him, just rejoicing in the most ecstatic joy you could possibly imagine what a scene this is. And it's kind of funny because Joseph isn't mentioned, and I think Joseph is probably out getting groceries or something. And he comes back, and Mary's like, uh, you just missed something really crazy. It's like, what? Okay, I just, you know, I, th- I think about this stuff. So this is on the back end of our sermon here. This lies, uh, this story lies as the, one of the central parts of Jesus' quote-unquote origin story here, our king. It's a peculiar story. It is a humble story. It is not an expected one. Much of the story is unexpected. But I firmly believe that perhaps more than ever, we really need to absorb what this text is saying. I return to the beginning of our sermon. You hear a rumor that Jesus showed up in America. Do you want to go find him? Where do you think he's going to be? Where would you hope he would arrive to exert his new kingly authority? And who will be found announcing his coming and be among his first followers? This morning, I asked my daughter, Lydia, this question. And her answer was actually fantastic. She said, Daddy, I think I would probably find Jesus in the streets of the city, caring for people that I don't know the names of. And he might be kind of hard to find. I think there's some truth in that, right? That he will be ministering to the lowest among us, that he would be found in the unexpected corners of our neighborhoods and cities, caring for the people that you don't even know who they are, whose broken stories are just beyond imagination, and he goes to those people and loves them and starts washing their feet, I think that's where our Lord would be first found. He will probably not be calling news crews to come and televise his teachings or to make sure that he gets them up on YouTube immediately, right, in some big public fashion. His whole ministry was marked by quiet love and care for people. This is what I'm, after this sermon, I'm starting to call it the, the, you know, the Bethlehem gospel, not the Jerusalem gospel, right? This quiet little town of Bethlehem, that's where he first shows up. And this gives us indication to the rest of his ministry. That's going to forever mark his ministry for the next 33 years. Like the Magi, do you need to be redirected this morning to where Jesus is truly found? Does the eyes of your heart need to be directed once again to a humble and lowly Savior, born in Bethlehem, born in a feeding trough, in a manger? Secondly, knowing the incredible expense of the Magi's journey. This frankincense, this gold would have been so costly. I don't know, people guess, right, how much money it would translate into today. We don't know how much gold or how much frankincense, but at minimum, we're talking many tens and thousands of dollars. What has your love of Christ actually cost you as of recent? Our faith is an expensive faith. For some in our world, it costs them their life. And here we see uh, monetary, uh, monetary gifts. Like uh, these magi actually give, open up their wallets, if you will, and giving something extraordinarily expensive to 
Jesus and spending a lot of money on their pilgrimage to meet him. But what has your faith cost you? I want to ask these questions. Is there anything in your life that you are just not willing to let go of? That you are clinging to with all of your heart? It says, Jesus, if you take anything from me, that's fine. Just don't take this. You can't have this. You can have everything else. Just not that. And whatever that is in your life, I'm calling you to let go of it now. Drop it before him. Give all of yourself to him. That's what this text shows us. Shows us. He is calling all of you and our allegiance to him as a very costly and expensive one that will lead to, to hardship in your life. It will be difficult. We worship a God who was crucified. We have to realize that we should have some expectation of something difficult coming into our life for following such a man like him. What are you not willing to give up this morning? In this Christmas season, a time of generosity, can his people be known for being utterly and exuberantly generous in this time when so many don't have right now? So many are struggling, really struggling financially due to this pandemic. And if you even have a little bit extra, are you willing to give until it hurts? Are you willing to just put a few extra dollars on that check or a one extra zero just to, oh, this hurts, this is painful, but you know what? I have to give because my Lord has given me so much. I have to let go and I have to be generous just like these magi. That was their first response. They didn't just want to go worship him. They wanted to give to him. So uh, as we end our sermon here, my prayer is that when we see this story, that we can get Jesus for who he really is. And as we, I'm going to call it the worship team now, as they, um, we'll sing us a final song. We're going to have people praying here in the front. If there's a work done in your heart this morning, if, if, if you are feeling stirred right now, if the Spirit of God is just stirring you, please let him keep stirring. Don't, don't push, okay? I know some of you have been going through quite a lot this month extremely unexpected difficult things have come your way on top of just the general hardship of 2020 don't just leave here without dealing with some of that and facing it if you haven't already if there's somebody that comes to mind that you need to minister to this week and to just be generous towards would you come forward and grab one of us and just pray pray for that person i want to pray for that person with you lift them up before the throne and my prayer is that the manger Jesus, the Bethlehem gospel, the crucified Lord can be the one that we see as we walk out of these doors today. That he can be the one that we recognize as the one who died in weakness and knowing that in his weakness only then will we be made strong. And so as we close our time um, after the song is over, please grab us for prayer. Let me, uh, let me pray for us. Jesus, I pray, Lord, um, with that ecstatic joy of the Magi, Lord. I, I'm just uh, convicted myself. It's like, uh, when have I seen you last? Well, that kind of joy just, just, just flew out of me. And I'm not like a, an, an expressive guy, maybe, and some of us are more expressive than others. But, Lord, that deep-seated joy that is a joy that transcends all circumstances, that can be found even in the darkness, as Isaiah said, all this happened when darkness was covering the earth. But it was in that darkness that the nation started coming to you. 
It was in that darkness that people started finding you and discovering salvation and joy. Lord, right now our nation needs that more than ever. May it begin with us, Lord. May we see you for who you really are, and only then, when we see you and we catch that glimpse of you, can we be changed in an instant. So, Lord, as we uh, sing this final song, may our hearts be lifted up to you in joy. And may nobody leave this morning without first doing business that they have to with you, Jesus. We love you so much. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel. Thank you for this crazy story. There's just so much in it, and we, we love it. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.